Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Destin's Tempest Magazine. Today on the show, we have Chris P. Lettuce, the proprietor of the Armstrong LA YouTube channel and Patreon. We're going to talk about the recent bunch of 80s and 90s independent wrestling footage that he acquired and posted uh, some of which is up now, some of which is still going to be go up, as he said in the interview, up until September. This includes things like Austin Idol's USA wrestling promotion in Alabama in 1993, WOW wrestling from Alabama in 1987, Texas Championship wrestling from 1990 and 91, and a whole bunch of others. Some good, some not so good, some in between. We're going to talk about most of that stuff how he got the footage, ins and outs of tape trading, also some other stuff, including Southeastern and Continental. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. If you're one of the people who have watched more classic wrestling on YouTube lately than anything current, you may have noticed an influx of 80s, 90s, and 2000s independent wrestling on YouTube. I'm happy to say that the man you have to thank for most of that is on the show to talk about some of the promotions he's uploaded, finding new footage in 2022, if you can call it that, and more. So I'm happy to welcome to the show... From Armstrong Alley's YouTube channel, Chris P. Lettuce. How's it going, Chris? Uh, it's going good. Yeah, we, this is, uh, to let people behind the curtain, this has been, uh, we've had some odd technical issues to start the show, so hopefully hopefully this will be the one that sticks. We're one and one right now. I screwed up and he screwed up, so hopefully we're done. Yeah, we're going. Um, so I, uh, one of the things that we said in the, the first time was that you've uploaded so much stuff recently that you haven't actually had time to watch everything that you've posted, and I haven't had time to watch everything that you've posted so far. So it's possible that we may be talking about stuff that we may name that only one of us has actually watched recently. So that may be that may make things a, a slightly dicey, but I know there's a couple of things that we both have definitely watched. But... Uh, on the last pod, uh, Mike Simpervivi and I were talking about tape trading back in the day, and it's funny that here we are in 2022 and people are still tape trading, and that's how you got uh, this boatload of stuff. Yeah, it's it's been a thing that's been a topic of discussion for a few years with um, Bix and Chris Zellner, the BT, Between the Sheets guys, and MLJ, that, hey, we should all get together and get some stuff from... I'll call him the Greek because that's the name I use for him on Twitter. He doesn't really want to have his name out there. So he's been tape trading probably since the start of trading wrestling tapes. And he has, I would guess, probably the largest collection of wrestling footage that is not owned by WWE. And so we've been talking about getting stuff from from a long time and nothing really happened so I, I decided that I was gonna 
take charge and I was going to make sure that we finally got some stuff from them. And kind of the whole let's work together thing didn't really work out. So I ended up just taking it all on myself. And, um, yeah, I really, I just, the, the main focus for me was that I wanted to get the Austin Idol promotion, the 1993 attempt to restart the Alabama territory because that's kind of like my wheelhouse. I'm, you know, the Armstrong Alley started as a way for me to put all the Southeastern and Continental on YouTube. So for me, it felt like, you know, I should have that on my YouTube channel since it's kind of the continuation of Southeastern and Continental. So I ended up getting in touch with him. And then once I saw his, how much stuff he had, it was like, well, you know, I might as well get more. And that's how I ended up getting 82 DVDs from him. <laughs> I remember I remember back in the day the biggest list that I remember getting I think was Jeff Lynch's list which was you know maybe like 2 or 3 inches thick and but like from what you said the this list that you're going by like dwarfs that well, I'll see I was getting the information from people who got like the old list which is I think before he was doing double sided pages so when I actually got the paper copy, it's, I mean, it's a lot of pages, but it wasn't like people were like, oh, <laughs> when I got it in the 90s, they wouldn't deliver it to my house because it was so heavy. So I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it wasn't like that, but it is a, it's, it's a big list. Yeah, it's funny. I mentioned this, I think, on the last show, but I was cleaning recently looking for some stuff, and I actually found some of my old tape lists uh, – like a bunch of the McAdam lists and the the Joseph Mana stuff. So I yeah. was, so I think I posted a picture of that on Twitter. But yeah, it's funny how uh, everybody's list was like slightly different, and some were very descriptive. Some were just basically the two guys in a date, and that was it. And you kind of had to, you know, pick and choose who you bought from and who was quick and whose tapes were good. And so. You know, that's why there's, you know, people always seem to talk about maybe the same four or five guys as the big tape guys from that era, probably because they end up having, like, the best quality or, yeah. the, be or the best variety. Yeah. Well, I think part of, like, why this guy has so much variety is the way that tape trading worked. So if you're in um, your specific market, you're somewhere in Pennsylvania and you have continental, the continental that I uploaded, the Pennsylvania continental, uh, that aired on some little cable channel there in Pennsylvania, you're going to take that. Not because you like it, not because it's good, but because it gives you something exclusive that you can use to trade to get wrestling that you want to watch. It's a way for you to get out of – well, basically, it was a way for people to get out of paying for Japanese wrestling. People would just tape whatever wrestling was coming on local TV, good or not, just so they could trade it. Well, it's certainly funny. Over the last you know, couple of weeks, we've heard Cornette on his show talk a lot about like tape trading back in – not even in the 80s, back in the 70s when like – he was apparently one of the first people in the, in that loop to even have a VCR and how, you know, him and Norm Dooley and some other people, you know, started trading then and, you know, and how it's sort of grown exponentially <sighs> since then. And now, of course, that, you know, most everything's online. So, that's well, why, I mean, that's why, <laughs> but I was going to say, would caution, I would caution against 
saying most everything is online okay, because that is the one thing that I've noticed in this is that there is a lot of stuff that is not that's under the radar that people really don't even think about or know exists because it's not online and it wasn't ever written about in the Observer or the Torque. And so it's kind of almost unknown. Right. And a lot of the stuff that you've, that you've been putting up lately is this sort of under the radar stuff that may or may not have even been covered in the sheets. I mean, the, I mean, we'll start with the the USA thing that Austin Idol did, which I, you know was it did get some coverage in Observer, not a lot. Well, was, all, it, well, and of course the thing with that promotion is it didn't last all that long. So why don't no. you, yeah, so why don't you give us the the background on that promotion, or at least what you know about it? Okay, give me one second. Let me pull up my listings on that just to get some dates. That promotion started in January 1993 by Austin Idol. <clears throat> I don't really know who the money man was, but I know it was not Austin Idol. I don't see Austin Idol putting his own money into a wrestling promotion. So don't know who he got to put up the money. But yeah, it started in January 1993. And as far as I can tell, by the end of March, it's already done. So it's kind of I mean, one of the cool things about it that is um, that we basically, you know, it's three months and we pretty much have every show right from beginning to end. Yeah, there's I have one missing episode. Uh, but other than that, yeah, we have all of it. But the weird th- and, and, you know, one of the weird things, too, about this promotion is that, you know, it's been three months building. To their first big show, which was going to be in the Batwall Auditorium, which is where Continental ran once they switched from being Southeastern. And then what happens the night of the big show in Alabama, of all places? Uh, that was the 1993 um, Superstorm, the Super Snowstorm, or whatever they call it. It's some type of, yeah, it's the 1993 Superstorm that dumped a lot of snow on Alabama in a very short amount of time. Because I think you were talking to Carl Stern about it online yeah. and sort of trying to get information about what exists. So we still haven't fully confirmed whether or not the show at the Batwell actually happened. We know it didn't happen on the advertised date, of the original advertised date, because that got snowed out. But then there's another episode of TV after that that promotes a makeup date. And as far as I can tell... We have no evidence of that show happening, and we don't really have any evidence of the show not happening. My guess is it didn't. That would that would make sense. Um, there is a YouTube comment that says that there was supposed to be a show, and then Austin Idol just didn't show up, and so they couldn't have it. But they'd already sold tickets to like um, special needs kids, so they were all there. That's a YouTube. I don't know if that's true, but that's what somebody commented on YouTube. And I've been getting a lot of YouTube comments that have been filling in details that I don't know on all these promotions. But it certainly would not be a surprise. No. I I mean, it sounds plausible. I was about to say, if you told me that Austin Idol no-showed a date for his own promotion, would that that surprise me? No. So... Um, but the the promotion itself, like I said, we have this. It's a fine. It's a finite promotion. In the last couple months, we have 
almost all of the footage that we know of so far. But on the whole, it's not a bad show to watch. It has a number of... No, it's uh, fun. Yeah, it has a it's number... Hey, it's fun. But yeah, well, there's there's a number of people... I guess if you, when we talk about a number of these promotions, they range from uh, lots of guys people have heard of who may be over the hill or unmotivated to basically a lot of nobodies. Yeah. Um, but this is more at the end of lots of people we've heard of, uh, lots of recognizable names, and for the most part, Guys, yeah, there's not really anyone unknown on here. That I mean, like Joey Mags isn't like a big star, but people know who he is. They've seen him on TV. But this is, you know, but here we've got the Bullet and Junkyard Dog and Iron Sheik and Boris Zukov and uh, some of uh, Austin Idol. Austin Idol, obviously, some of the Armstrongs. Wendell, Scott, yeah, yeah, Scott, Wendell, Scott, Wendell, Wendell and Steve. Yeah, so there's a lot of names, especially to people familiar with Continental. Right, that area, so these, that area is a good roster. Yeah, so uh, that's I would say probably of all the stuff that you've uploaded, that's probably the most new user friendly for people for for being able to recognize people, probably. Well, I think the t- Texas is probably better. I mean, because. You got, you got. I, I think Texas probably has a little bit bigger names. It, it could be kind of a toss up, because it's kind of the same thing. Where that for that area, that's a good roster that they have: Matt Bourne and Al Perez and Kevin Von Eck when everyone wants to show up, and Terry Gordy and Abdul the Butcher and who else did they have there? Well, I was gonna say we can. We the can, regular, yeah. I say we so can. It's kind of a, it's kind of equal there, or was, a little bit better on Texas then. Yeah, so we can. But after that, yeah, that's basically those two as far as like an actual legitimate promotion with real names. I'll say we can go ahead and we'll jump to that because of all the stuff, that's probably I think is the most watchable. Maybe it's because everybody is sort of an old hand except for a couple young guys, and it's uh, it's probably maybe like the most polished show. I guess of, of oh, the, the, of it the looks bunch. it looks good. The production values are good. You can see that like they were some whoever was formatting, editing the show, and what they were doing. Yeah, so this is Texas Championship Wrestling or Texas well, World Federation Champ, whatever whatever Bill Mercer tries to call it on the show. The first episode that he just he just butchers it over and over. Texas World Federation Championship Wrestling. I think there's another word in there, but I got so sick of listening to it. But this promotion was apparently started by Mercer, Bill Mercer, and Gary Hart, Mickey and, Grant, and Mickey, Mickey and Mickey Grant. So these are all people who had been in world, who were part of like the heyday of world class. And so, and you've got Gary Hart booking, so that's obviously somebody who knows what he's doing. And so, yeah, this is full of a lot of guys <coughs> that you would expect to see from the end of world class. Or some guys from Global or um, USWA. So you've got, um, you said Al Perez is the champion from what we, I think, as far yeah, as you've uploaded so far. So you've got Al Perez. Gary's, Gary's yeah. always trying to push out. Yeah, yeah, let's just say there's a funny thing in one of them where they're closing the show and Mercer and Hart are talking about Al Perez's match, I think, with Rod Price. And, uh, 
he's saying, you know, what a great champion Al Perez is, and he's like, take that, critics. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> he's pointing, at, he's pointing at you, Dave. Eat it, Dave. But yeah, so you got Al Perez, Angel of Death, Matt Bourne, Terrence Garvin, uh, Iceman Parsons, Gordy is there for a little while. Abdullah's there. Gordy, did you see the Gordy promo where he's in front of the toilet? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> He's basically explaining how the toilet works and how he's going to flush Abdullah. And then they superimpose a picture of Abdullah going down the toilet when he flushes it. <laughs> it's so it's so wonderfully cheesy. Um, and then you have some young guys, including, uh, like we said, Rod Price and that that blonde guy from Texas uh, who is, I think, leaves halfway through this footage to go to WCW. And that would be one Mr. Uh, Stunning Steve Austin. Yeah, he's there um, up through March. I don't have him in any of the, I don't think he's in any of the April episodes that haven't gone up yet. But, yeah, he's there until March. Although the, and he's tag team with Rod Price off and on. He's not on every episode. Although the, uh, the newcomer, uh, the very brief newcomer that may be the person who garnered the most attention – from this federation <laughs> is the American Ninja. Oh my God. That's one of the, I, I've seen a lot of bad and crazy stuff in like low rent wrestling. And that's one of the crazier things I've ever seen. And he just, it's, and you can tell Bill Mercer is like, and to steal a phrase from Cornette, he's not trying to get it on him. Like he's very not, He's not trying to sell you very hard on the American Ninja in that little vignette at all. <laughs> it's like Bill Mercer is also like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Which is funny because I, I I never got around to looking this up, but I want to say in in San Antonio, they had like somebody who had like a similar gimmick that was like... He's a, he probably did. He probably was the same guy from Texas All-Star because when I looked him up, I found out who he is, despite everyone asking me, who is it, who is it? Uh, I looked up his name, I already forgot it. The guy's name is Jerry something. He's just some guy that Gary Hart trained and he's not any good. That's why you don't know who he is because he sucked and you never saw him in anything else because he didn't magically turn into a star that you saw in WWF or WCW, which... There's this crazy thing that people think that everybody that they see on one of these wrestling shows is somebody that they saw on WWF or WCW. It's a very irritating thing that I get in the replies. Who's like, who is this guy? He's a guy. He's that guy. <laughs> who is the American Ninja? He's the American Ninja. That's who he is. He's not somebody that you saw on WWF or WCW. Well, that's something uh, to go back to Alabama is the, you know, the the uh, the wow stuff. It's like you watch that and you're like, OK, this is 1987, like leftover continental. There's going to be a bunch of young guys who we're going to see here that went on to something. And you're like, well, there's Bob Holly. And that's it. Well, that's because you haven't seen Yokozuna show up yet. OK. Yes, Coquina shows up with, I believe it, yeah, it's Samu. Him and Samu are there for a little while. Okay, but as of what we've seen so far, I guess we should have preface all of this, depending on when you're listening to it. You know, we're recording this at the end of July, so if there's stuff that you're, that, of the... I, and I have my, I, I have my, 
stuff's scheduled out until like mid September, so I might talk about stuff that's not public on YouTube yet. So yeah, so if you hear something like that, it'll be there eventually. But as of what we've seen so far in WoW, it's it's basically you know Bob Sweethan, Pat Rose, young Bob Holly with you know his '80s mustache, and <laughs> and a bunch of other guys at this point. Yeah. And it's funny. And Don Fargo. Don oh, yeah. Fargo is my favorite part of the promotion. Everything he does and it is entertaining to me. And it's I, I don't think the one where he and his tag team partner eat dog food is up yet, but yeah. <laughs> be on the lookout for that one. But uh, I remember it's funny now watching because I remember like when I first started getting Smoky Mountain, you know, in 1993 or whatever, it was, you know, you know, who's this guy with the weird like bathrobe and the Bret Hart colors? And you're like, oh, he's not bad, but he's like this young guy. And now I'm like, wait, so Bob Holly was like a six-year vet when he was in Smoky Mountain. I wouldn't have guessed that watching it at the <laughs> yeah, time. A, he and Pat Rose had a little Memphis run, I think, or the, as a tag team. I don't think it lasted long. <laughs> I don't remember I that. I seem to remember that. I don't want to look it up right now. I'm almost positive of the thing. I don't know, I'm sure Pat Rose has been in so many tag teams. Yeah. Like you probably couldn't. It's like, other than, you know, once you get past teaming with Dr. Tom, then it's like, um, oh, yeah, that guy, and uh, oh, yeah, that guy. Well, I like, I like Pat Rose in this promotion. It's nice to see him actually get No, 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 I was saying, I'm not, I'm not downing Pat Rose. I like Pat Rose, you know, as the guy, you know, in the spots, in the spots he was in, he was fine. But, you know, he's a guy who, you know, went from being, you know, a job guy on TV to kind of being pushed in some of the promotions. And, you know, now he's like their heavyweight champion. And you're like. Well, even in Continental, he went from there was periods where they kind of halfway pushed him like he was um, Mr. Wrestling, too, for a while. As the when Mr. Wrestling recopied his Mid-South angle and said, he's not Mr. Wrestling, too, anymore. He's just Mr. Wrestling. And his partner is Mr. Wrestling, too. Even though the and then he's just a job guy on, <laughs> a few years later. And then, yeah, and then the magazines would still say, would always call the other guy Mr. Wrestling 3. Because I think Hercules yeah. was called, Hercules, yeah. I think, was Mr. Wrestling yeah. 3 when he was yeah. in Mid-South. But yeah, that, that WoW stuff's, you know... It's like, fun. I like that. That I, I didn't get that from the Greek. I just got lucky and saw that Rock Rims was selling some... DVDs for 89 cents. I seen it on his list, and I was like, I need to get this right now. But that's an interesting promotion where that was running in like 87 when Continental was still going. Yeah, I I guess basically they had sort of moved north and sort of abandoned some of the smaller towns in Alabama. Yeah, they weren't really running Mobile and Pensacola anymore because business had gotten so bad, and they were back running up around Knoxville and that had kind of replaced those towns. And I thought the interesting thing too about that promotion is apparently who the owner was. Yeah, there's <laughs> both said that was a promotion that was uh, supplemented by Japanese businessmen. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I guess from what I think you've posted so far, has Mr. Ito actually only wrestled once on TV? 
the one episode that he shows up on, I don't actually that I know he shows up on. I don't actually have it. It cuts off like a minute or two into his match with Bob Holly. I'm missing. There's a disc of Wow that I'm missing. I've seen listings for it. I've seen it on um, Scott Teal's website, but if I buy it off of there, I'm also going to have to have the watermark of his dog all over it, so I'm not going to do that. But yeah, it's funny that, at least in the, you know, from what you've posted so far, I mean, you know, it's certainly rare to see if a worker is part owner of the promotion that he's not all over the TV, whether that's... Yeah, well, we didn't actually say who it was. It's Yumanoseki Ueda, who I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Who was yeah, Mr. Mis- yeah, Ito. Who they call him Mr. Ito there. Yeah. Um, who people may remember briefly from being in Mid-South in late... Wrong. Wrong yeah. Mr. Ito. No, that's not wrong. It's not the same Mr. Ito? Yeah, not the same guy. This is the blonde guy. Oh. The blonde Yumanoseki Ueda. He um, teams, I think... Yeah, he teamed with Tiger Tiger Jeet Singh's thumb. Oh, okay, I got you. Japan. He was, I mean, he's been, he he wrestled in the U.S. a lot, I think mostly on the West Coast, and then he was in Japan too, but it's not the same Mr. Ito from Mid-South and Memphis. Oh, there we go. See, now I'm... The blonde, the very rare Japanese wrestler that bleached their hair blonde. There you go. So now, I've learned something today, so it's been uh, been a plus for everybody. Um, some of the other stuff, we we, uh, we mentioned this briefly uh, on the original recording before we had to start over. Um, the Probably the newest stuff that you've got on there is, might be the best name promotion in all of history. Yeah, I love it. Ron's Championship Wrestling. Sit down in your house. Ron's Championship Wrestling is coming on. And that would be legendary Knoxville, Kingsport, uh, the original king of Kingsport, if Bo, Bo probably won't mind me saying that. Uh, well, he actually apparently never used the name. Oh. <laughs> I guess it was something that he – maybe it was in the magazines, but Bo has said that um, Ron Wright never officially used that name. Okay. Well, yeah. So we're talking about the not called king of Kingsport. <laughs> Ron Wright, the legendary Ron Wright from yes. from Smoky Mountain, from Southeastern, the guy that managed white, Dirty White Boy Tony Anthony in the wheelchair. And my favorite run of him is 1988 USA Championship Wrestling. Top hat wearing Ron Wright. Yeah, and unfortunately he brings in the Stormtrooper, and there's one episode where he's sitting behind a Nazi flag, but, you know, what can you do? He didn't book it. But yeah, so... Uh, so basically, the early parts of these episodes are, it's basically Ron Wright sitting at a table with Terry Landell promoting upcoming shows in Ron's Wrestling School and some other local businesses, basically. Yeah, and they just show old clips, like they show some Smoky Mountain clips that uh, got me in trouble with a manual review by WWE, which I've never seen on my channel before. I didn't really get in trouble, but it makes me nervous when I see WWE manual review of my channel. And some um, clips from Knoxville that apparently even Bo doesn't have, and in really nice quality. So I don't know where those tapes came from. I wish I knew. Yeah, there's some clips of like 1982 Knoxville on there that are very nice quality. 
Yeah, it's it's a weird hodgepodge so far where it's them showing like random clips. I think they I show the they show the old clip of Ron from like was it 1974? The one tape that exists from John Kazana's Knoxville promotion. Yeah, the the one when he's arguing with uh, Big Jim Hess. Yeah, and the referee. He gets into it with the referee. But yeah, so eventually they become. Because most of what's up right now is just these weird clip shows. And we were saying eventually Les Thatcher comes in to, to host some of them. And we do eventually get uh, new stuff involving Ron's students and, among other people, Dirty White Boy. Yeah, once you get to January 2003, which I have officially gotten into now, the, I think the last episode that I put up has B.J. Whitmer. If it wasn't the last episode, it was the second last. So that's officially up. You can go watch now. You can see B.J. Whitmer in a tag match against the Dirty White Boy, if that interests you. But yeah, they start uh, they start a wrestling school, and then the promotion becomes basically the... Um, the wrestling school students on TV and the dirty white boy was the trainer. And I got to guess Tim Horner was involved because he shows up too. And I can't imagine they were just paying him to wrestle and if he wasn't involved in the school. So yeah, you get dirty white boy, Tim Horner, you get, um, killer Kyle and his new gimmick, which I can't remember what it is right now. Mm-hmm. And then just a bunch of students, the guys that just, you can tell they're barely trained. And I think there's also some of the, I guess you would say, sort of regular East Tennessee loop guys. I asked Bo about a couple of people. I was like, because there was somebody I had never heard of before, and I was like, did you work with this guy? And he was like, no, he pretty much only worked for Terry. But then there's a couple of guys who are like... Jeff Anderson? I'm guessing Jeff Anderson was not a trainee of the school. He seems like he had a little bit more experience than that. I don't know who he is, but he no, doesn't seem like one of the students. Yeah, there were there was somebody that had like an interesting name that made me ask Bo about, and I was like, "Is this one of your guy? Like, you know, is this somebody you used?" And he's like, "No, he pretty much only worked for Knox in Knoxville for Terry." But then I, there was a couple other guys I said that I recognize as seeing like that have been part of Bo's crew before, and he was they're like, "Oh yeah, he worked for them for a while," and. So there's there's some overlap with you know some of Bogues' guys on those shows, but not a lot because you know it's funny sometimes when you when you think you know there's you know rival promotions in you know what we will probably consider not giant cities, and it's like well no that's that's very common in indie wrestling apparently like, yeah if you work for this promotion you can't work for that promotion but it's funny it's like you can understand that you know like. You know, I'm fairly, I was fairly familiar for a while with like the 90s and 2000 Philadelphia scene. And, you know, it was like, yeah, you were either, you know, in Camp A or Camp B. And, you know, you weren't going to work for, if you wanted to work for me, you weren't going to work for that guy. Or certainly probably, you know, like in regards with Quack, it'd be like, you know, these gimmicks stay here, but if you work somewhere else, you've got to work as a different person, you know, which is, you know, that, you know, they're famous, you know, they're guys now famous all over cable TV, you know, who worked there, you know, work for Chikara under gimmicks that people may or may not know. Yeah. So it's, 
And I'm sure that still happens today, but the thing is, it's on such a small level that you don't really hear about it unless you're, like, in wrestling and in them group chats. Yeah, one of the other promotions that, that I was intrigued by that was, like, one of the first things that you put up is... Um, is IPW from Arkansas because yes. it, was, it was apparently uh, owned. This is not and, the first time that people have seen it on YouTube. This is where the infamous Jumpin' Jeff Farmer promo comes from. So it's not like this is one that people knew about, but I don't think there was these these specific episodes. I don't think have been on YouTube before. But this promotion was either owned or booked by Bill Ash, who people may remember from. You know, from Continental, at, you know, being the Professor Bill Ash as like the longtime, you know, heel junior heavyweight for for the Fullers. Yeah, and you when you watch the show, you can tell he's about the only fully trained wrestler. <laughs> and it's funny that at least you know the the ones that I watched, he's not really. He's not pushing himself hard. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I was gonna say he's sort of just generally in the middle, having matches with guys. You know, he's. It doesn't seem like they're pushing anybody that hard. It's just, I mean, it's a thirty-minute show that seems to exist. It's not. It doesn't seem like. I mean, I don't even think there's a belt. I don't remember a belt. No, maybe it was something they were going to get to and they didn't get to. It seemed like if they were pushing anybody, it was the the kind of big guy named Odell Buckingham. That seemed like the one guy they were going to try to push as their big baby face. And it was the Which you never saw him anywhere else, so I don't think he developed. And who was the was the who was the the big was his name Bulldozer? Like yeah, the, the big guy. Bulldozer is very amusing to me because the very first episode he comes out there and he hasn't he's he's balding. But he's got he's got the hair on the sides, and it's all gray, and he's got like this gray beard, and he looks very old in that first episode. And then the next episode, he's got his head shaved, and he's got his beard dyed, so you can tell that he saw himself on TV and was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> I gotta do something about this." I mean, he kind of looks like a moon dog in that first episode. And the, yeah, the first he, he he really changes his look between the first one and the next one. But yeah, that's yeah, that's one I think I maybe had heard of before, but like hadn't watched in any sort of. It's kind quantity. of a meme promotion. Like people must think that it's like the worst thing ever, all based off one jumping Jeff Farmer promo. But it, I mean, I actually liked it. I think it's it's not great, but I actually think it's a testament to Bill Ash that he's got all these green rookies wrestling green rookies on TV, and they're they're mostly competent. They, I mean, I've seen them. There was some moves that those guys busted out, like just some simple wrestling counters that I was like, hey, this is – you won't see this on TV today, and it's, it looks good. Just simple wrestling because that's what Bill Ash knew from wrestling prelim matches for most of his career where you weren't really going to do punches and you weren't really going to do kicks and you weren't going to do high spots. So your match was all wrestling. So he knew all those tricks to teach those guys. Yeah, that's somebody I would have liked to have gotten on, you know, the the subbranded Continental podcast. It's like I I sent him a message I think a couple of times I've just never heard back. But you know, that's definitely like the kind of person I'd be interested in talking to, who's like just a 
journeyman, solid hand, carpenter kind of guy who went a bunch of different places. And you know, yeah, I mean, he was he was good. I mean, he could talk on the mic, but I think the only place he ever really got a push was in Alabama and Southeastern and Continental. Yeah, he's like you don't really. He didn't have a look. He's not a big guy. He didn't have a. He didn't have a look at all. But in 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 Continental, it worked. Well, he's kind of got that sleazy '80s look, which you know would not would not stand out or uh, would not be not out of home and or not out of place in Continental. That's what I was trying to say. You know, he, he's got that sort of. That grease, you know, that sort of Jim Backlund, the Jim Backlund, Jimmy Del Rey look. Yeah. You know what I mean? The sleazy heel that you want to boo, especially because, you know, he spends a lot of time feuding with various Armstrongs. Yeah. So you've got, you know, clean cut Armstrong boys versus, you know, and, you know, and he's a junior heavyweight, but he's kind of small. He's kind of pudgy. He's kind of pudgy. Short and kind of pudgy. He's not fat. He's just, he has no real muscle definition at all yeah he's kind of doughy yeah but uh but yeah but you know it's the thing where you know people some you know newer fans kind of forget that a lot of times the guys that kind of look like that were the guys who were actually the really good workers you know they weren't again oh, yeah, if bill ash if bill ash was on tv today somebody somewhere on twitter would be saying that he needs to be world champion but, you know, it's it kind of, you know, it's like the way probably people would react today, like if Jerry Stubbs was on TV. You know, it'd be like, who's this old bald guy? You know, whereas, great worker. I, I don't know. I think it's, it's actually easier now to be a guy without a, a significant look and not really impressive and get Somebody on the internet to like you. I don't want to go too far, but to say Jonathan Gresham seems to be doing pretty well for being a guy who's barely five feet tall. One of the uh, one of the other interesting things about the stuff that you put up is this sort of not necessarily war, but you have like these two different promotions that were trying to run in the old Mid South territory at around the same time. Five star, yeah. Five star has been up. It's, it's. I'm almost done uploading it now. And then there's the other one which hasn't gone up yet. So we can talk more about five star. But then you also have the the other deep south. <clears throat> oh, deep south too. I thought I thought you were getting ready to go on something else. Yeah, deep south is also up. And this is not Judy Hamilton's deep south. No, this is. Um, I actually think Gene Lewis was running it. From what I looked at, people said that Gene Lewis was the guy running this. And both of these shows... And and I'm sure Jack Curtis... I think Jack Curtis was probably involved because I've seen him on the TV. Yeah, it's... Uh, and both of those shows have, you know, some people that are familiar. I guess... Well, the one's 95, so it's getting a little later, but certainly the... The five star stuff from ninety has a lot of recognizable names, especially for guys that used to work. Yeah, at the beginning it's actually a pretty loaded roster because when they start up they're trying to go all the way old mid south, so they got um Junkyard Dog there and Buddy Landell there and um the bootleg Fantastics, uh Jackie and Bobby Fulton. I won't call them the Fantastics if Tommy's not there. 
and um, Scandor Akbar with Devastation Incorporated. So, they, I mean, they had some names at the beginning, and then things kind of start falling off. Yeah, like you said, a lot of these shows, to varying degrees, have have names, and it's guys who aren't that far out of their prime. You know, whether they were whether they choose to put their working shoes on those days or not. <laughs> uh, you know, again, you know, JYD didn't have his working shoes anymore in 1990. But yet, in 1993, he did. He did. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. Like in 1995, Star, he looks terrible. He's like he's really out of shape. He's not putting in any effort. But in 1993, USA, man, he looks as motivated and he's working as hard as I remember seeing him in the nineties. And the other promotion that I think I am much higher on than, than you are based on Twitter conversations we've had is, uh, North American slash South Atlantic pro wrestling. Yeah. I mean, that's just the type of TV that's, it's not interesting to me. I'm not like I understand your point where you're like, "What's well, not bad," but for me, I'm just like, "Yeah, it's boring." I'd rather watch bad wrestling than boring wrestling. See, I think the thing with South Atlantic, we'll just call it South Atlantic to cover both shows to make it easier. Right. Um, <clears throat> for one, I think that might be the only one of these that I may have actually seen at the time. Like, I don't know how, but I remember coming home from college one year. I guess in 90 or 91 and like finding it on one of the UHF stations here. So I don't know, like maybe if it was on home team, cause home team sports had a lot of wrestling that, you know, Michael tell you about, but I, but I want to say it was like on a UHF station that I was told that in some markets, they actually bought out the WCW time slots. Then maybe I'm trying to think that maybe it was, then maybe it was in Baltimore. I mean, that's something I'd have to talk around to some people about because, you know, I mean, I could get, because I think, you know, we were still, you know, we still had the rotor hooked up, even though we had cable by 1990. Some of the shows have call letters and I looked it up and it wasn't like just, you know, like the crappiest station in the market. Like when I looked up the Pensacola promotion, I was like, oh, this is the crappiest station in the market. But that wasn't the case when I looked up what, um, what South Atlantic was doing. But, you know, that would definitely make sense if they, like, ended up with, like, Crockett time slots. So, like, maybe that's how they ended up in Baltimore or one of the, like, maybe the, yeah. DC, the D.C. station. But anyway, so this is, in the beginning, it's Nelson Royal's promotion, right? He's... No, like, it's George Scott. George Scott. Um, So you've got, uh, to me, and you talk about people with their work issues on and not on the thing that I found that I don't remember from watching it at the time is I was actually thoroughly entertained by babyface manager, Paul Jones. And if you had told like 1987 me this, I would not have believed you. I'd like you, that. I could be interested in anything Paul Jones did as a babyface or heel, but I really like him as this sort of just, you know, older, and I think he's, I think I, I looked it up, I think, like, he might be around 50 at this point, so he's, you know, it's funny, he's, he's younger. It was weird to see him, like, he's back in the ring a lot in this one, I think there's, like, maybe three matches that he hasn't, 
against Robert Fuller, at least two. But yeah, he's he's a very convincing sort of authority babyface type manager. I was about to say how old he is. He's younger than me at this point, which is funny. Um, but you know, he's um, like you said, he ends up having a couple matches with Robert. You know, one of the things that I like about this is this is a whole bunch of Robert Fuller at his Robert Fullery Foghorn Leghorn Stud Stable Bass cutting promos. Yeah. That I mean, I'm like, you know, if nothing else, I've seen all these fun Robert Fuller promos I've never seen before, so that's a plus. And there's a bunch of, uh, again, old... Well, see, my problem with it is that it actually has a really good roster, but the TV is boring. Like, they, they, the squash matches are so long, especially in the George Scott era. It gets better once Frank Dusick takes over, the TV gets better. But, but even yeah. if it takes a massive downgrade in production values... But yeah, it's but, de- yeah yeah de- yeah you definitely tell you can see George Scott's fingerprints for how boring you know you can see the similarities. All the complaints that people had about his run in 1989 WCW is right there. It's, he didn't change at all. It's the exact same thing. I was about to say, but because George Scott is there, you know that might be why we have Paul Jones for a while. We get Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. Um, you get a young Ken Shamrock there as Vince Torelli. Young you got Tatanka there as Chris Chavis. You get the, the Pitbulls. Pitbulls. Pitbulls are there as the American Bulldogs, and then they change to, what, the American Pitbulls? Something, or yeah. Something. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the Nasty Boys are there. I mean, the roster is good. If somebody, if Robert Fuller had been booking it instead of George Scott, it would have been great. Yeah, and then in the beginning, you've got some of those, um, like, longtime Crockett job guys who... Bobby like, Angel. Yeah, the kind of guys, you know, who could have been... If they would have been elevated in at the end of Crockett, you know, they wouldn't seem so out of place being pushed now. But, yeah, the, yeah that sort of... That level of guy, you know, like the Italian Stein kind of guy... And you're like, oh yeah, I mean, I knew these guys were good, and it's, you know, I've always Ranger Ross, Ranger Ross, yeah, really young Charles Wright in the first couple episodes as oh, as Baron Samiti, Baron Samiti teaming with Bob teaming Orton. With Bob Orton. What a weird team. But yeah, so there's, you know, and then you know who shows up on all these shows? Bob Orton Jr. He's in like every startup promotion that anybody ran. He's in Five Star. He's he's in this he's in um, he's in he's in the Buck Robley 1992 promotion that hasn't gone up but it's going up and he's the highlight of that because of how little he gives you shit. <laughs> yeah, but Bob Morton wrestled everywhere in the 90s. Well, because this probably would this would have also been around the the Herb Abrams time too, so. Yeah, and it's up in Paul Aberstein's AWF. I'm pretty sure he was there at least like a little bit. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely guys whose thread runs through all the stuff that we've been seeing and all this. But yeah, but you know, out of Dusty Wolf too. <laughs> I've seen Dusty Wolf all over the stuff. Even the weird random tour of Malaysia that's coming up. He, there's Dusty Wolf. That's something we haven't mentioned. You've also got some international. I mean, I don't want to call Vancouver international, 
But you've got some weirder international stuff that'll be coming up at some point. Right. Okay. So like the last few pages of his list is DVDs that he never watched. So there's really nothing to go on. You're getting just a title. So when I see a title that says Malaysia or South Africa slash India, I'm like, well, I want to know what the fuck that is. I want to see it. I don't know what the heck it is, but I want to find out. So, yeah, that's some of the stuff that I got. I got a tour in Malaysia that's got the Mongolian Mahler and Leo Burke and Stephen Pettipon and Dusty Wolf on it. And then there's some stuff from South Africa where you can actually see Jans Wilkins wrestle. Um, he wrestles some guy I don't know. And then he has a match with Kevin the Magnificent, which is Kevin Kelly slash Nails before he got fat. So, yeah, I mean, there's some weird, interesting stuff still coming. Then there's, like, this tour that is maybe from Pakistan that's just, I don't know anything about it, but it's going to go up. And it doesn't fall into the category of weird indie stuff, but you have just put up a bunch of Puerto Rico, too. Yeah, that's different. That's a long-standing project. There is a 100-disc set of WWC stuff that's been around for a very long time, but no one ever did anything with it. It just existed in this form of it's a 100-disc set. No one ever put dates on it, and the discs were not really in order. So for some stupid reason, I was like, yeah, I think I'll just put it together and put it in order so that I can actually watch it. And that took a long time because it's very difficult to get dates for Puerto Rico stuff in the eighties and even in the nineties. So that was a project that I worked on off and on, off and on. And finally it's done. So yeah, I will be completing those uploads as time goes on. And then, uh, in these sort of, random stuff that we don't have a lot of but certainly people should look at uh on the channel is the the nick ghoulis 1984 uwa stuff Ooh, oh my goodness that's some really low rent looking wrestling when you got some names there you got tojo and gypsy joe frank morell you get some guys who you would know from memphis tv but ooh, that's some and TV. I think the, I think the actual sort of most interesting thing about that episode is getting to see Arvel Hutto, who I did, yeah, who yeah. who <laughs> like broke in as a teenager with Bobby Eaton. Right. Yes, so you get to see the Arvel Hutto actually cuts a promo on one of those episodes. And we also get to see a George Goulas promo. Right. George Goulas is coming back. He's going to be partners with. Was it? It wasn't Tommy Heggie. It was one of the other baby faces. But, yes, he was asked if he would come back and be a partner. Gosh darn it, George Goulas is getting back in the ring. And I think the other thing that – I think there's, is there only one of so far? It was that – is the, the the Dale Mann promotion? That's not mine. Oh, I, did not, find, oh, I, found that, I found that on YouTube. Oh, okay. I won't say which wrestler sent it along to me, but thankfully okay. there's a wrestler who sent it along to me. He's like, hey – you would like this, and I, <laughs> I do like it. That's very good stuff. Uh, I'll put, I'll try to um, 
when this podcast comes out, I'll put it. I'll put another link to it on my Twitter so people can find it because people should watch that. Yeah, there's That's probably the only TV that we have of Dale Mann's infamous outlaw promotion. There's some, yeah, there's some, there's some funny stuff. The uh, and so this is it. This is. Do you know? Oh, that's right. You said it's not yours, but like, so this is, uh, like 1983, and you've got a rock and roll, express type knockoff tag team, uh, one of whom is Billy Joe's Travis, coming out to ELO's Rock and Roll is King. So the question there is, are they just blatantly stealing the Rock and Roll Express's music, or did they somehow weirdly have it first? Well, see, I don't know. Did they use that music in Memphis? I know they used it in Mid South, but I don't know if that was their music in Memphis. I thought they, because that was during that era for a while where they used a. But well, I know with the music videos, there's like four or five different songs when they make the Memphis. Right. You know, because there's like a. There's I haven't like, seen a lot of of that era of '83 Memphis. Well, I know it's like the peak, but I, I have not seen a lot of it, because, so I couldn't say that's what they were coming out to. There's because sometimes they show that same Rock and Roll Express video, the one you always see, but sometimes and they probably still show it on Smoky Mountain TV. And yeah, two, three. But like sometimes it would be Rock and Roll is King, sometimes it would be Kiss, I think sometimes it would be Joan Jett, and sometimes I think it would be Jump. I I, I want to say I think there are different uh, there are different videos, but. They would use different songs for the Rock and Roll Express music videos, right? But I think they were—I think they were using it then. I'm not sure. But the—but the funnier thing in that Dale Mann episode is the other sort of like babyface white meat tag team. Well, what did they call them? The Boogie? The Boogeyman? They, they were the yeah. Because I had asked Bo about this. I said, Bo, who are the Boogie Woogie Men? The and boogie woogie man, yes. Yeah, and he went what? And I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, it's so and so and so and so. And he's like, I know the one guy, but not the other guy. I said, well, I'm watching this TV from like 1983, and it's, you know, it's Kentucky. He's like, is it Dale Mann? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I know the one guy, but not. The... But the funniest thing is, it's these two, like, kind of pasty, doughy white guys, kind of like we were talking about Bill Ash. And they come to the ring to Midnight Star's electricity. And they're like bopping along, you know, like, like, um, I'm trying to think who, who used, somebody used Midnight Star. I think, I think Brookhouse Brown used a different Midnight Star song in Continental or in Mid-South, one of the two. And like, you know, it's, you know, it's one thing for Brickhouse Brown to be using Midnight Star, but like the two white guys using it was, it's very, very funny. And they're, they were boogie-woogieing, too. They were out there doing their breakdance moves. But My yeah. favorite thing about them is the boogie-woogie men have part of their name on the ass of their tights, but it's just men. Which would probably... <laughs> two guys with men on the ass of their tights. Okay. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that would probably appeal to a certain subset of your YouTube commenters. <laughs> Libra 42 full is, is I'm glad that's not on my channel. <laughs> but yeah, but but uh, for people who may or may not be aware, there there's a uh, a subsection of wrestling fans who 
don't watch wrestling for the same reason. Well, we all watch wrestling for different reasons. They watch it for a different reason. I know some They like to see wimpy, puny job guys getting beat up by strong muscle men. Yeah, somebody tweeted an article a couple weeks ago about it. It wasn't... I don't think Bix wrote it. Bix may have retweeted it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's... It's, well, I went down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out why my Wendell Cooley versus Adrian Street match has so many more views than everything else on my channel, and I traced it back to a blog, which is run by one of those gentlemen that watches wrestling for those reasons. But I actually really liked his article. I thought it was an interesting take on the match. Uh, so I don't, I don't have a problem with those guys as long as they don't get too graphic sometimes they get a little graphic and i have to delete a comment but otherwise i'm happy to just let them do that thing yeah i mean you you enjoy something for why you enjoy it and as long as it doesn't bother anybody else more power to you i guess uh in closing since it is your no we got to talk about the iwa okay go ahead talk about the iwa okay the iwa that's probably the promotion that is the lowest rent and the worst produced of everything that I've uploaded. This is a 1989 promotion started up in Nashville. They were running the Nashville National Guard Armory and some other small towns around Tennessee. It was run by the manager who was on the TV named Dr. Squash. Um, all the information that I know about it, it comes from an ebook that was written by a wrestler who's on the show, uh, Luscious Leslie Love, uh, who plays a, um, well, let's just say he's from San Francisco, and you can kind of guess what his gimmick is. And he feuds with Willie the Wrestling Clown. So Doink the Clown was not the first wrestling clown, but Willie is a babyface, which makes the wrestling clown gimmick not as nearly as good as Doink. And he has roller skates. Yeah, oh my goodness. People got to watch that video. That video is amazing. The music that they put to it and the clips of him outside dancing on the roller skates, that is amazing. Uh, but yeah, so they only last like six or seven weeks. And the very final episode has a cameo by the king of wrestling in Nashville, Nick Goulas. And where is Nick Goulas at on this episode? He is in the office of the Nashville mayor, who declares it IWA Day, as Nick Goulas was talking about taking over the IWA, but that doesn't happen because Nick Goulas probably found out that the guy running the IWA didn't have any money, and the guy running the IWA found out that Nick Goulas didn't have any money either. So that was the end of that. And then the IWA just died after the very day after the Nashville mayor declared it IWA Day, which is an incredible piece of wrestling trivia. That's yeah, and that's that's. A but that's not the only promotion that Nick Gillis is going to make a cameo in as being part of taking over the promotion, because he shows up in Wow near the end of it as they try to expand into Nashville. And you will see Nick Goulas and George Goulas on WOW TV being interviewed by Kenny Bolin. 
which was like, when I saw that, I was like, what the hell is happening? Here's Nick Goulis and George Goulis and Kenny Bolin on the show, on the show that's being hosted by Burt Prentice. So, yeah, WoW gets even more interesting as the uploads continue to go. As you say, you never know where during that time Nick Goulis could show up. I mean, considering he, he sh- kept trying to get back in, well, I was so saying, he didn't have any money. <laughs> I mean, it's like considering you know that one, you know that one angle in Memphis. You know, that, I love that angle in Memphis when that's one of my favorite things that ever aired on Memphis TV because you can see Robert Fuller's face the whole time. He just looks like a a kid in the candy store when he knows he's not supposed to be there and he just has this big shit and grin on his face. <laughs> well, it's the kind of thing where it's like now, I mean, we sort of know more now that, that, you know, Nick Goulas, you know, liked Robert even back, you know, like he was a favorite of Goulas's even back in the seventies. Oh yeah. And then Robert always talks well about Nick and even George. But you know, it's, you know, the, Stuff makes more sense years later when you learn more of the history. When you're like, oh, it's like, oh, you know, because there's a clip on YouTube of... Right, but just to explain it for people, uh, oh, yeah. what happened is Robert Fuller gets... He goes to um, Nick Goulas' house with a camera and basically you just ask him if to go on camera and talk about how Jerry Jarrett stole the promotion from him, which is what Nick Goulas does. And then Jerry Jarrett airs it on his TV. Yeah, the whole thing was basically um, Fuller shows up in Memphis and basically saying, Jerry, you know, he's like, my father or my grandfather and Nick Goulas used to own this promotion. And then and my father, you know, was part of this promotion. And Jerry Jarrett stole this promotion, stole, stole, stole this from from his family and Nick, Nick Goulas family. And so, yeah, they they do this angle where Robert Fuller goes and interviews Nick Goulas, and he's like, is this what happened? And he basically says yes. <laughs> and they come back. And the best part of all is Jimmy Golden has been a baby face. And they're all like, oh, we can't trust Jimmy Golden anymore. And Jimmy Golden comes out, and he's like, no, this is, you know, he's like, Robert's full of crap. Robert always does this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so, like, Robert turns on Jimmy. I mean, they were healing babyface anyway, but it was like, and I think eventually Jimmy, I mean, eventually Jimmy turns heel because of course he does. But, uh, yeah, it's funny in the beginning because he's like, yes, I love my grandfather. And, you know, he always yeah, said, like, I'm tired of him talking about, like, like my grandfather got ripped off and talking about how he's face down in a grave and all this and that. And Jimmy cuts a great baby face promo and yeah. then Robert comes out and pissed <laughs> off and they jump him. Yeah. Cause he's like, he's like, you know, Nick, he's like, Nick Goulas was my grandfather too. He's like, just because, you know, whatever happened with you and your brother and your father and whatever doesn't, you know, it's not the same as what happened with my dad and me. You know, and, you know, I was raised on Nick's farm and blah, blah, blah. You know, and all this uh, apparently is true. Talking about Roy. We, you're getting Roy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's talking about Roy Welch. So, yeah, he's like, you know, I was raised on my grandmother or my grandfather's farm and blah, blah, blah. And, I, you know, and I don't like you talking about him. Yeah, and then and then they split and, of course, they get back together later. But, yeah, that's that's like a great 
a great angle, and and uh, I don't know if he's talked about it on my show, but I know Bo is like explained that. He said that started a lot of problems. Yeah, all I was, what I was gonna say is Bo's talked about that angle either on Between the Sheets or on our podcast or on his podcast. So yeah, there's a lot more behind the scenes stuff about that angle that that Bo knows a lot more than than most of us. So so listen to him tell it. But uh, yeah, the one thing I wanted to talk about before we go is we've talked about a con- we've talked about Continental a bunch of stuff, a bunch of times, and I think in all this tape hall you have managed to find some quote unquote lost Continental footage too, right? I did. Um, see, when I went down the list, the first thing that I found was more 1983 Southeastern that had some more heel Bob Armstrong stuff that was not previously uploaded to YouTube. So seeing that on the list and knowing who else had been looking through that list and who else was looking for Southeastern Continental, I reached out to somebody and I was like, hey, do you have this? And they said, yeah, I do. And I said, well, what the hell are you sitting on it for? I said, you should have uploaded this to YouTube. Give it to me and I'll put it on YouTube. And that's what happened. So... Yeah, there's new Heel Bob Armstrong stuff on YouTube that I think went up probably in March. And, yeah, you could see him slap uh, Brad, which was kind of one of those big angles that a lot of people wanted to see that had seen it before. And all that stuff is great. And everything that Heel Bob Armstrong did is fantastic. The video quality is not very good on that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's always good to find more continental and southeastern especially the studio era especially the heel bob armstrong era and then there's some more 1987 continental that has also gone up recently that has um it's not really like the peak of continental but it has some fun stuff in there especially the dutch mantel on the road segments (laughs) those are really good and uh you get some some of the dirty white boy and mr olympia feud which is really good so, yeah, I mean, it's always fun to find more Continental, and I think I can probably get some more. I think there's probably some more 1987 Continental out there that I can get. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that, like, the Family Affair thing kind of fell off was just, like, I got to that point in 85 where, like, we started getting all the missing, where, like, the first batch of missing stuff like the gaps were and i was just like how am i going to do this and i, just, I got something i forgot that i did get like four episodes of 1985 continental two from the montgomery feed which had a very interesting discovery which is that ron west hosted one episode of southeastern because charlie platt was sick which is cool but you know like i would just like we got to the point where like you know i pretty much paused it right in the when the the big cage match happens when Robert turns and it was just kind of like, well, I could keep trying to do this for now, but it's kind of like, well, this might be a good place to pause until I figure out a better answer. Cause you know, that's arguably like the most important angle in the continental part of continental history. Yeah. We're well, we, I can't say if we are, or we aren't missing it because Bo's uploading some of that stuff to YouTube, and then Ron took it all down, and now it's on some paid service, and uh, I don't want to get too into that, but I'm not really sure at this point what is and isn't 
out there that I don't have because I wasn't following it that closely while it was going up because I was like, oh, well, I got time to get it later when I have when I'm not working on something else. And then it's not on YouTube anymore. So I do think that there is some more 1985 Continental that's not on my channel. And I may have to end up signing up for that service just to try to get it off of there. Yeah, it's it's funny that Continental was like this, you know, like hidden gem for a long time, you know, because, you know, the Fullers didn't cooperate with the magazines or whatever. So there wasn't a lot written about it and Dave didn't write about it very much. And it's funny that, like, there's now this sort of renaissance between like Ron talking about it, but then you also have your stuff and then Carl's stuff and Bo's stuff. And it's almost like, it's sort of amazing for being such a smaller promotion that was ignored for so long, how there actually is so much, I mean, there's still more that we don't have, but how much of it actually is still there. That's Right, right. and that was what I really wanted to do. That's the reason my channel is named Armstrong Alley, is because I was like, well, this stuff is great, and it's not accessible at all. And I spent a lot of time trying to collect it. And it was another one of those things where it was a very messy process of trying to put the collection in order and get dates on it and put it in chronological order because I had, like, 80 discs that were just all over the freaking place. And so that took me a while, and I finally got all that stuff up there. And now it's it's... People can watch it from, like, 1981 to 1989. You're not going to get every episode, but you can you can get a pretty good gist of what the promotion was and how it went for basically a good nine years of the promotion's life. Definitely. And then there's uh, – and, you know, again, you know, Knox, especially if you listen to Ron's show, it's like Knoxville has such an interesting history, and, listening, and of course, listening to Bo, where it's like – you know, Fuller era, Flair Mulligan era, you know, then Continental, and then all the weird stuff in between and after, and then Smokey. Like, it's, it's such, it's it's like one of the most interesting wrestling cities in the country. Yeah, we have we have a kind of a decent amount of the Jim Barnett era, where you've got um, some of the guys from Georgia are coming in, and then it's like the locals are like Terry Taylor and Dutch Mantel and... Uh, Sugar Bear Harris is there. I mean, it's a pretty interesting. It's some interesting TV. You know, I was watching. Just it it popped up in my YouTube feed when I was looking for when I was looking for stuff for today. That it was an interview with Les and Gary Hart and Austin Idol, and I was like. I was like, have I seen this before? You know, and I was like, it's from Southern. Oh, it's that's from, the, it's, yeah, it's from Southern. It's yeah. from Southern All Star, which from is like '86. Yeah, so it's like yet another different. Not, which like, was right before Ron Fuller went back to Knoxville to start running it for Cotton. Yeah, I'm not. So, a, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but this might be like the Knoxville promotion that Sullivan like started so his kids could see him on tv i know there's a story that no uh, apparently that was just like him hosting hosting a show and showing old clips i don't think he actually had a whole promotion like with that Les thatcher thing oh because i know i watched the beginning of that show and he's talking to ron sexton's on there and he's talking about how they had just worked together in new england and i'm like 
So is this related to ICW, like, ICW and yeah. Savoldi's? And I'm like, this is... Uh, See, they got, all those kind of like outlaw promotions were kind of trying to work together around then because it, they didn't have enough dates to run a full a full schedule. So like they were trying to talent share. So like, okay, we can keep Austin Idol out of working a full-time territory if we can give them enough dates between ICW and whatever Southern States was. So there was like... They were trying to work together for those reasons. Well, I know because it's weird. This like that era where Sullivan is like booking and appearing Everywhere. in like three different. It's like yeah, you see him and Nancy and Lewin, and they're like in Florida, and then they're in ICW in New England, and now they're here. They're in Knoxville, and they're probably also in Hawaii, and probably yeah. all these. It's just you know, it's just. Is is this is the this is the era that I think you and I miss, where it's just the weird stuff. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's see, that's I'm I've seen so much good wrestling now that like for me to watch something and just watch it because it's good, it, the bar has to be really high. But I can watch bad wrestling and be endlessly entertained by something like the IWA or. Uh, um, some of these other bad promotions that I've been putting up. Yeah, that stuff more entertaining to me than some of the kind of good wrestling. Well, I mean, I've I've made this point lately on a couple different pods, but it's kind of like I'm much more interested in older culture than current culture now. I mean, I'm an old guy, so that kind of makes sense. But it's like there's all that – it's like, you know, there's like hundreds of hours of stuff that you've just put up like 99% of it I've never seen before. And yeah, okay, if it's bad, I can zip through it and it's like 15 minutes out of my day. But you know, it's like I've never seen this before and like I really enjoyed the Texas stuff and the Austin Idol stuff and the South Atlantic stuff and it's like I got to see stuff that I've never... There's a couple, you know, there's 80s promotions that I'm curious about that like I've never... like. I was always curious about Wild West. You know, I've only seen, like, a handful of episodes of that. That might be all there is that's left, but it was like, oh, there's this promotion that's in Texas that's running opposition to the Von Erics and also opposition to Mid-South, or it's guys that left Mid-South. and Or, you know, see, you know, there's probably a lot more uh, Texas All-Star than there used to be, but again... That's something that I only used to read about in the after magazines. You know, it's like, you know, I'm not in 1986. Where am I going to see that on the East Coast? You know, especially not having cable. So, like, I'm glad to be able to watch this stuff that, like, I only used to read about. It's the same thing about, like, there's TV shows from the 60s that I read about that I that I can now watch that I never got to watch. And they're probably not very good, but. It's like sort of more interesting to me than just watching whatever might be on Netflix now. Yeah. But uh, well, kind of the thing about it is like a lot of these promotions, like the people don't know about them, and so the only way to get the stories out about all these attempts to start up new territories and what people were doing to try to fill the void of all the missing jobs in wrestling that happened when the territories died. And this, to, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of people trying to get things started, and it's just there's not a whole lot out there written about it. So it's going to have to kind of come from watching the footage and getting people's stories from it and YouTube comments to kind of get more information about what was going on 
in that time period. Yeah, and that's the problem of like this being at the end, at the, at the end of the eighties and the beginning of the nineties. The smart fans had basically quit on U.S. wrestling. They weren't. They didn't care about these small promotions. They weren't. It wasn't getting heavily taped rated. It wasn't getting written up in the newsletters. So now it's kind of left to you. Kind of got to fill in the blanks on your own now. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, it's like wrestling is such. Um, you know, there's there's not a lot of document, like firsthand documentation. It's like, it's like now you're starting to get more people that can like write their own ebooks, like the guy you were talking about that worked in Nashville. Right. Again, because like you know, Dave Dave wasn't covering it, even if he was. I mean, there's it's like a very tiny little blur here there's, and now. There's two lines in a 1990 yeah. Observer that says, "Oh, by the way." Um, this guy who used to work for Bill Watts is trying to start a promotion in Mississippi. <laughs> and that'd be it. And you might Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with Austin Isles promotion where I was digging and digging and digging and trying to find did this show and about what happened and the observer is basically useless. You get a blurb about Austin Idol starting this promotion and then you get another blurb in April that's like the Austin Idol promotion is dead. And there's very little in between there. You know, and the cool, and you know, and some of these guys have podcasts now that you never know what kind of. I mean, you think about how much history we've learned from Ron Fuller's podcast. Again, you know, you got to take some of it with a grain of salt, but it's like Ron but, has a, a a very good memory when it comes to getting very in detail on what happened on the TV shows. I'm a little skeptical about him remembering all the details of these promos, but let me get too far into that no but again it's the kind of thing where you know ron's a great storyteller so yeah i mean yeah you do listen to i mean he may still have all i would the odds i would think would be against the fact that ron still has all of his books from like 1974 onwards he might he says he has the TV formats, and I, I can halfway believe that because he has a lot of information about what happened on the shows that I do believe he has the formats. But for him to be like every single episode, oh, I remember this promo, oh, and this happened, and this, it's like, mm, I don't know. Like I said, that's it, you just take it with a grain of salt. And it's like, you know, when Idol has had his podcast for a while, you're like, you're like, I know, you know, I'm going to. I wish they had talked about the 1993 promotion on there, just to have some type of Austin Idol on record talking about it. Well, I mean, it's the kind of thing you never know who, you know, if somebody probably big enough, you know, went to Idol and just said, I'm doing a podcast and I just want to talk about this. It's like, you may or may not probably have to provide a fee to get Austin on the the pod. That wouldn't surprise me. But, uh, and, you know, whether or not he would actually show up for whatever you scheduled is, of course, something you would, <laughs> is something you would risk. You he know. seemed to get out of the podcast venture fairly quickly. No, but, I mean, but I do kind of wonder if, you know. Would I believe anything that he told me about it? That, not really. There's that, too. But, I mean, you know. Because he would have to acknowledge that it was a failure. Is Austin Idol going to acknowledge that something he was involved in was a failure? Probably not. Well, unless it wasn't his fault. But, you know, <laughs> they can't blame it all on the snow and be mostly correct. But and I mean, but I mean, if somebody did, you know, you know, 
go go to him and say, you know, I do a podcast. We were wondering about this. Would you do an interview? I'd I would talk to Scott Armstrong. But you know, I would be happy. Apparently, Scott was the booker. Yeah. No, I I think I've I think I've occasionally like tw- like sent a tweet to him. Got me blocked yeah, for whatever yeah. reason. Asking, but. yeah, but uh, well, see, for, for a while it was like he was still employed by by WBS, so I figured that's how you knew get him on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, you know, you're not going to get him up, but like now that he's, I don't think employed by them. You never know, but so. but you know it's. it's <clears throat> Because that was the good thing when, like, when I was doing the con, like, when I was doing the Continental show, it was like, I sent an email to to Jeff Van Camp, and like, out of the blue, I was like, hey, I do this podcast about Continental. It's like, you know, I'd be, you know, because I know he's done podcasts before, so I'm like, hey, would you be interested in coming on and talking about, you know, when you were humongous? And he did, and you know, he was a, you know, he's a fun guest. But again, that's a guy who you know, wrestled for like two years and then got out of the business and then had a life for 30 years. So it's probably, I should probably get Bo to do this for me, but there's a weird thing in 1993 USA that I've been trying to get the answer from. And the only person I can probably get it from is David Haskins. And David Haskins did not answer my messages on Facebook, but he, I'm pretty sure I, if I got Bo to ask him, I might get the information, but on 1993 USA, they hype him up, and they hype him up for being on TV in this match against Joey Maggs, and then he, that doesn't happen. Joey Maggs wrestles somebody else, and they're, like, trying to say that Joey Maggs might have messed with his car or whatever. And then on the next week, they talk about him. They keep talking about it. They keep talking about the issue with Joey Maggs and David Haskins, but he never comes on the TV. So, like, I'm trying to figure out what happened. I'm, and I swear there's, like, this interview that I read or heard David Haskins where he was like talking about the one time that he refused to do a job and I could swear it was the joy mag. So I'm like trying to figure out if that's what happened where they were like hyping it up for him to wrestle joy mags. And then he was like, I'm not jobbing a joy mags. And he just left. And so they had to try to fill it in on the fly while they're taking the TV. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, I'm, well. I mean, I think Bo listens. Very. I mean, they talk about him a lot on the TV, but he's never on it. So something happened. Well, it's like hopefully when Bo listens, he'll he'll shoot you an email. It's funny too. This I just DM him after this because I talk to Bo regularly, but I never ask him to talk to Davey well, Hassan. And it's me. it's funny too because I was talking to Carl recently. And I was like, hey, we're probably going to do this show that's probably going to have a bunch of, like, Alabama stuff on there. And, like, I didn't get around to, to like, asking him beforehand about it. But I'm sure, like, once he listens – because I don't know, like, if he had any involvement in in the in the Idol promotion. Because it's like, I know he ran shows – No, because like, I tried to – I asked him about it. Oh, okay, like, good. Hey, no, did this show in the Batwell ever happen? He was like, I don't know. I'll look into it. And – I think his looking into it is about the same thing of my looking into it, which is, well, I don't know. But, I don't think so, but I don't know. But we do know that um, somebody who's been on the pod before not that long ago is Greg Klein, who apparently tr- oh, tried yeah. to tried to maybe work for that promotion and then yeah. sort of got the cold shoulder. So he talked about <coughs> – 
Right, that's where I got the information that Scott Armstrong was the guy booking it, which is why I think Scott Armstrong, if you were going to talk to anybody about that promotion, is probably the guy who's going to be able to give you the most information. Whether he wants to do it or not, I have no idea. But Yeah, definitely. It's like there's – and that's a good thing is like some of these guys are still young enough that, you know, they're around for people to be on podcasts and not – you know, it's – you know, it's the problem with that business is like guys either die young or – you know, in that era, or they're starting to to pass away now just because they're that old, you know, like the veterans. So it's like, yeah, it's like you want to hear from as many of these guys as you can to at least get their version of history. If it's not necessarily their real version, it's at least their version, which is... Chris, I want to thank you very much for, for doing the show. People can, you know, find most of the stuff that we've talked about on the Armstrong Alley youtube channel if it's right and that channel is actually that's the url youtube.com slash c slash armstrong alley so it's easy to find all of you can if you i mean it's kind of hard to navigate my page so i've made a lot of playlists so you can watch all the uploads of each specific promotion in order and uh i don't know if there's anything else that you want to plug here or you want to tell people to Talk or to contact you online about anything else that you may want to plug. Well, um, I'm still in the process of trying to get more footage. Um, right now, I've already been through the whole last batch of footage. It's all already ready to go on YouTube, and it'll finish uploading around the middle of September. And so I'm trying to um, already get in the process now of getting ready to get more footage. So if you want to help me um, fund that, because it is expensive. It costs me about $600 to get the last batch. So if you want to help me out on that, you can um, donate to me to my PayPal is uswatexas at gmail.com or sign up for my Patreon um, because I cannot monetize the YouTube. All of the views, all the money that goes from those views and the ads goes into YouTube's pocket and whoever holds the copyrights on all the music because I don't edit music out. So I'll never be able to make any money on my YouTube outside of what people send me to keep the thing going. So if you've liked what I've been uploading and you want to see more stuff, um, I'm going to need some help to be able to get more. That's what I told you when I, when I signed up for the Patreon. Since you weren't you weren't actually doing anything with it. Um, I mean, you're, you're posting stuff now about some of the footage, but I said, I said, well, basically, I said, if I pay, if I sign up to your Patreon for five dollars a month, then I'm just contributing to the next fund rather than me, you know, six months from now, you know, sending you twenty bucks. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm kind of in a somewhat difficult spot, is that most Patreons have some type of reward for you, and I've. <laughs> I don't really have anything to give you except access to my Google Drive, which you could get outside of Patreon. So there's not really any – at this point, there's not really anything exclusive that I'm offering except the fact that I'm going to be able to get more wrestling footage if enough people sign up and, and uh, help me put together the money to do that. Because there's – I could do this every three months for the foreseeable future with the amount of stuff that he has that I don't. I mean, there's, it's basically, um, it's basically an endless well as far as that goes. I mean, this, I could keep doing this for years, but the only problem is 
I don't know how much longer the Greek is going to be able to do this because he's in his mid-70s, so he's not a young guy, and I have no idea what the contingency plan is for his footage after he goes. That's so why there is sign of, there is a bit of an urgency, not to try to put a hard sell on it. There is a bit of urgency to get the stuff now. That's why when I sent that email to Cornette asking about his tape collection, it was kind of like, you know, I think we all pretty much know there's going to be stuff that he has that nobody else probably has. And I, I was encouraged to hear that he's trying to put some type of plan in place to get stuff converted. Because, I mean, if nothing else, just the Memphis stuff that he probably has would fill in so many holes. Just I also know that his tapes are probably in really good condition as far as video quality. Because well, I know he's probably still got stuff on beta, and everything that gets converted from beta looks great. Well, I mean, he says – I think he says he still has – well, he says he has, like, everything. So I think that would include, like, his beta stuff from the 70s. Yeah. And everything well, and he else. also he also answered a question that I had, which is why does all this stuff that was taped on taped off of Japanese TV look so much better? And it's because he says that everybody in Japan was still using beta, so those beta tapes were they were taping it onto beta, and then it probably got converted to VHS, and but that still left it at a better quality than just about any other American TV taped onto VHS. Well. The interesting thing that he talked about on that show that I don't think I knew before, I may have, but I've forgotten, was that the stuff that was for Memphis-only TV didn't actually get taped. Like, like it, it just, oh, yeah. they didn't, they taped, like, the stuff for the bicycle, like right. the, the hour-long show, but, like, the other 30 minutes during the live show in the morning just, if people at home didn't tape it, it's gone. Yeah. And I'm like, I would have thought they'd at least, like, tape the master and then cut the master down for a bicycle tape. But it's like, nope. Just Memphis only. I'm like. It's weird because they had to keep some tapes somewhere to make the, all those music videos. So I don't really understand how the Memphis tape library works. They had to have something. <laughs> they made all those music videos from old footage. So I don't know. Although it seems like a lot of the music videos were from like the Colise or like Coliseum footage, or yeah. or or like stuff that, or like B-roll they shot somewhere else. It doesn't seem like many of the music videos have like WMC footage in it. At least like the ones I'm thinking of off the top of my head, at least. But I don't know. But yeah, it's it's like I said this. This, like, recent stuff lately of me, of, like, all this stuff I'm learning or relearning about the tape trading era, I think is just, even though I, I was only, like, this little teeny tiny part of it for a while in the 90s, and it's, like, it's it makes me wonder, like, had I actually, because I didn't start watching wrestling until I was, uh, like, 15, so, like, I wonder what my horribly obsessive mentality would have been like as, like, a 10 or 11-year-old if, like... You know, I don't. We may or may not have had a VCR by then, and it's like, God, it's like what I have been taping horrible WWF TV in like 1981, 1982, and like what I've been, like what I've found. I guess I probably would have found tape trading by buying the magazines, and it's like, who knows? Yeah, it's it's one of those what ifs. It's like God, I would have been like even been in deeper in the rabbit hole. God help me. 
It's like instead of like branching off into comics and science fiction stuff, it like would have been more wrestling than all the. Oh, you know, oh boy. That's... I'm just glad I got into it after the VHS era. Well, it's like we were talking last week about we were talking about the '85 Bash and like b- like buying the PWI videotape from the magazines, and it was like, yeah, it was. It was forty five bucks retail that you could buy from the magazines for thirty, and it's like, shh. and that's how much. The, and it was only an hour. And again, there, you know, and I asked that question too. It's like, does WWF now have like all of the eighty five bash footage, like in its entirety, that like we've never seen? As it's like, I was amazed that we got we they found like the unedited Crockett Cup footage. To me, that was. That was like a holy grail thing for me because I love the 85, 86 Crockett Cup. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we've lost the Hidden Gems. Well, maybe when NBC, Universal, or Disney ends up with the company, maybe they'll find a way to monetize it. And yeah. I, and I, yeah, doubt, I think I, people who say this I live doubt. in a dream world that I, anybody who buys it is going to care more about the old stuff than the I know. WWE owns it well, now. Well, it's just that it, you know, there's a slim chance. It's like, I know, I didn't listen to it, but I know what the guy who used to be in charge of that stuff was on WrestleNomics, I guess, like a couple of weeks ago, talking about footage and rights and digitizing and stuff. Like, I didn't listen to it, but I'm sure, <coughs> I'm sure that guy has some horror stories to tell, probably, about either stuff that they found, stuff they couldn't find, and then, I mean, we've heard stories about guys, I mean, I think... Naylor has talked about like being in developmental and like asking if they have certain stuff in the library and being able to access it or get copies or whatever. Yeah. So it's like there's you know I guess there's hope. It's like as long as we know it's still there, even if nobody can get to it, there's still hope that we might get to it someday. Is there anything uh, as a tease? Is there anything? that you're looking forward to getting in this next set that you've already earmarked? I would just say that I think there will be more good 80 stuff. Um, uh, you were talking about Wild West. I think I can get some Wild West. I think I can get some more Southwest. I think I can get some more Continental. The first time that I was going through the list, it was kind of like, um, I kind of assumed that anything like that, anything good from the 80s had already been picked through. So I wasn't really deeply looking into those parts of the list, and I was focusing more on the unlisted tapes. And going through the list more thoroughly, I've definitely found a lot of 80s stuff that is not available. Some ICW that's not available, some... um, more Bruiser's territory that's not available, some Continental that I think... I don't have. So I think there's some more um, territory stuff that people who want more of that instead of these little outlaw promotions from the 90s, I think um, I will definitely have more of that on the next time. Cool. People can look forward to that coming in the future. And, of course, all of this stuff that we've been talking about for the last little while, you can watch now on YouTube. Um Thanks so much for doing the show. We'll definitely have to do it again, maybe uh, either when you're getting ready to do the next list or... Uh, right, yeah, well, let's do one, like, 
when I've kind of put the list together so we can give kind of people a preview of what the next one is going to be. Cool. Yeah, people, cool. Uh, so people will be able to look forward to that uh, sometime in the near future. Um, Whatever. Also, I haven't heard from the Greek in a month, so I'm getting a little bit worried about that. But hopefully he's just taking a very long time to look at the list of stuff that I sent him and decide that he wants a whole lot to save me some money. Hopefully, um, you know, hopefully that'll be something to look forward to in the future. Uh, Chris, thanks again for doing the show. Uh, I want to let everybody know there should be a new episode of The Plot coming maybe in the next week or two here and at When It Was Cool. This one is probably going to be uh, spy comic book related. Uh, that's something we haven't done on the show yet. So look for that maybe uh, next week or the week after. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. He is the universal Ah, uh, yes, darling, this is the universal heartthrob. Austin Idol coming at you loud and strong, and it warms the cockles of my heart to hear him sing it because they know it's true that I am the women's pet and the men's regret, that I am the prettiest, the sexiest, the richest, the meanest, and the greatest all-round athlete of all time. And like I've said before, there was only one Caesar in Rome. And there's only one Caesar in wrestling, darling. And you're listening to him. Makes no difference where I go, whether it's in the movies, whether it's in the restaurants.